For those of you who are visiting this morning, welcome. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're currently in an Advent series focusing on passages from the Old Testament that point to the coming of Jesus. Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 3 and saw that the glorious meaning of Christmas is that God will deliver us completely from Satan's power through his son. And in our passage this morning, God tests Abraham. God asks Abraham to do something that we should find shocking, something that we should find horrific. He asks Abraham to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And yet by faith, Abraham trusts that the Lord would provide. And in the last moment, in the last second, the Lord provides. This moment in the life of Abraham points to how God would provide for his people by sending his son as the substitute lamb. And remember last week, we learned that God had promised that there would be this conflict between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman, and that it would lead up to this moment where the promised seed would crush the head of the serpent, and yet he would have his heel bruised. Today we're going to be talking about that bruising of the heel. Today we are focusing on Jesus's substitutionary death on the cross for the sins of his people. And so you may be sitting here thinking, well, why not a sermon on the birth of Jesus? Isn't the cross like a Good Friday Easter thing? Yes, it is. We remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on Good Friday and Easter. And yet we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on Christmas as well and every day in between. Because there would be no Christmas without the cross. Jesus was born to die. He was born to have his heel bruised. Christmas without the cross is nothing. If all we did this season was just celebrate a birth, even the birth of the Son of God, but he didn't go to the cross, all of our celebrating would be in vain. Without the cross, there's no reason to even hang Christmas lights on your house. There's no reason to sing songs. There's no reason to exchange gifts. But the whole world shuts down on December 25th. Why? Celebrate a day that splits history in half. God came to this earth. He was born a baby to a lowly family in a manger. It was a miraculous birth. Born of the Virgin Mary. And yet, if that's all it was, if all it was was just a miraculous birth, then we have no reason to celebrate. Jesus, the Word of God, became flesh for the greatest purpose. Remember what the angel of the Lord told Joseph when he, when he found out that Mary was pregnant? It says in Matthew chapter 1, But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was born to die, to die on the cross. And we celebrate Christmas because of the cross, because of God's provision of the Lamb of God. And so this morning we are in Genesis chapter 22. And if you're taking notes, I've separated our text into three sections. We're going to see, number one, the great test. We're going to see that in verses one and two. Then we're going to see the great response in verses three to ten. And then lastly, the great provision in verses 11 to 19. And the main point, what I hope you see in the text here, and what I hope that you reflect on during this Christmas season is this. The glorious meaning of Christmas is that God has provided a substitute sacrifice to save his people. The glorious meaning of Christmas is that God has provided a substitute sacrifice to save his people. And so our text starts off with this conversation between God and Abraham. Abraham is often called Father Abraham. You know that song, right? Father Abraham and many sons, right? Why is he called Father Abraham? Because God promised to bless the whole world through him. And Abraham had a son, a son that was promised to him and his wife, Sarah, a long-awaited son. A son that was born when Abraham was very, very, very old. And God said that through this promised son, all the world was going to be blessed. Through this promised son, the Redeemer was going to come. And in our passage this morning, God tells Abraham to do something that should shock us. If you were reading Genesis from chapter 1 up until this point as a reader, what God is asking Abraham to do would not make sense. Keep in mind, God had promised to Abraham that he was going to make his name great. That he was going to make Abraham a great nation. That through him, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And then God promises to give him the son who would continue this line of promise. This son who would be the one who would start to fulfill the promise. And in chapter 21, Isaac, the promised son, the long-awaited son, is born. Now look again at verse 1 in chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Abraham had faced many tests and trials in his life, but this was the hardest. This was the greatest This was probably the greatest test that any of God's servants have ever faced. And so many of us are familiar with this story. 
that we don't actually find it as shocking as it truly is. This is a great test. And we must keep in mind also that we know more than Abraham knows. The author of this book, Moses, tells us that God tested Abraham, but Abraham doesn't know that. All Abraham knows is that God has given him a command. And as he hears God's voice, he says, here I am. Now look at verse 2. God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What? God is telling Abraham to offer up his son to make his son a sacrifice. How could God ask Abraham to do such a thing? Because all throughout the Bible, we're told that God is opposed to those killing his image bearers. In the Ten Commandments, we have a commandment that says, do not murder. How could God contradict his own law by asking Abraham to offer his son as a burnt offering? God says, I want you to take your son. Notice what, what he says here. Your only son, whom you love. God was aware of the difficult test, test he put before Abraham. That word son is mentioned 10 times in this passage that, to point out the enormous sacrifice that God was requiring of Abraham. He loved Isaac. And it's possible that Isaac began to take God's place in Abraham's thinking. But we can't be sure that this test from God was to see that if Abraham loved God more than his son Isaac. That's not the test. This, is, this test was on a spiritual level that involved how Abraham, Abraham viewed who God is and whether or not he would continue to trust him as the God who is trustworthy and faithful. God had promised all the future blessings, including the blessing of salvation. It was going to come through Isaac. But now God tells Abraham that he must sacrifice Isaac. At this point, Isaac is the hope of the world. And now God asked Abraham to offer Isaac on the altar as a burnt offering. A burnt offering totally consumed the sacrifice. There is nothing left. And so Abraham's future would just go up in smoke. And what's interesting about this text is that there's no explanation. There's no explanation on why God is commanding Abraham to do this or what the outcome will be. And so for the time and the first time in all of Abraham's experiences, he's confronted with a conflict between God's command and God's promise. The conflict here is between God's command and God's promise. It's one thing to wait for the fulfillment of a promise. It's another thing. It's against all reason 
to destroy with your own hands the promise that was starting to become fulfilled. How is the seed going to continue if Isaac dies? All Abraham gets is just a bare command. God is testing Abraham so that he learns to trust and obey God, not because the command is something that he likes or it makes him feel good, but to trust and obey God and his word for no other reason than that he is God. And if he is Abraham's Lord, then Abraham must trust him. Abraham's totally in the dark in this moment, and he's called upon to believe and trust in God's word. Abraham learns here that God can be trusted even when he cannot be understood. Abraham learns here that God can be trusted even when he cannot be understood. And there are moments in our lives in which God does something or allows something where we ask, why did God do this? Why am I going through this? God is teaching Abraham and he's teaching us that we need to learn to trust him even when we can't understand him. And so when we go through trials, we shouldn't ask the question, why is God putting this in my life? But how can I learn to trust this God who is sovereign over every trial? We've seen the great test And now we see the great response. How does Abraham respond to God's command? Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Abraham rose early in the morning. He responded quickly. But could you imagine that night? He probably didn't sleep much, thinking about what the Lord had commanded him to do, the reality setting in. But what did Abraham do? He got up early. He got his donkey ready for the journey. He called his servants. He went and got his son Isaac. And he said, we're going to obey the Lord. Imagine him splitting the wood for the sacrifice. That's an act of faith. He obeyed God even when he didn't understand him. And notice we don't have any commentary about what Abraham thought or how he felt. The emphasis here in the text is on Abraham's obedience. He left the difficulty with God. That's the essence of true faith. Faith is believing God and then acting on it. This is what Abraham did. Look look at verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. True faith is not some emotional decision made in a moment. True faith is continuing in a long obedience to the word of God. Even after a three-day journey, Abraham was still set on obeying his God. And as Abraham sees the place from afar, he says to his servants in verse five, 
Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, verse 5 is a significant passage. Verse 5 suggests that Abraham, Abraham is in a place of complete and total trust in the Lord. He has taken both the promise of God and the command of God that seem to contradict one another and comes to the conclusion that God will come through on his promise as he obeys. You see that in the text there? Abraham tells the servants to stay. He says, we will go worship and we will come back. He doesn't say, I will come back. We will come again to you. If the God of the universe, the God of the promise, has said he will bless the nations through Isaac, then in God's mercy, Abraham will return, and so will Isaac. This is what Abraham believed. This is how the New Testament understands it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19, it says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Right here. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham believed the promises of God and concluded that God would raise Isaac from the dead after he had offered him up. That's the amount of faith that Abraham had. And even in this text in Hebrews, it says that even though God stops Abraham from offering up Isaac, in a way, Abraham witnessed a death and resurrection of his son. Abraham is called the father of faith. Here we see him trusting in the promise of God. The lie we saw last week in chapter 3, did God actually say? That led to Adam and Eve falling into sin. Here Abraham is saying, God said it, so I'm going to believe it. He will come through. You will never get through the trials of your life if you don't trust God's word. God's promises are anchors for the souls of his people. God has promised that he will forgive my sins in Jesus. God has said he will raise me up on the last day. Hold on to God's promises no matter what circumstances you're going through. When the reality of your greatest fears comes to you, which is probably going to happen, when everything seems to contradict God's word, we stand on God's word. We trust his promises. Abraham was confident that he would return with his son. We see his confidence again in his response to Isaac's heart-wrenching question. As they go up the mountain together, Isaac is carrying the wood on his back for the sacrifice. And it isn't long until he notices that something's missing. Look at verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, 
Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for burnt offering? Dad, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham answers in verse 8. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Abraham refers Isaac back to God. He says God will provide for himself a lamb. Abraham cannot tell Isaac all that he would like to know because Abraham doesn't truly know how it's all going to work out. In this stressful and agonizing moment when his son has asked him, where is the sacrificial lamb? Abraham flung himself upon the faithfulness of God and says, God will provide. And they both head up the mountain together. And then in verse nine, the story slows down. You see Moses describing every detail. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And at this point, Isaac knows what's happening. And it's significant that Isaac doesn't resist. Abraham is old at this point, weaker than his son. He could be easily overpowered, and yet he was able to tie him up and lay him down on the altar. So apparently Isaac had decided to obey his father no matter the cost, just as his father had decided to obey God no matter the cost. And in verse 10 is the part of the story which we often just look away. We saw this in a movie, we look away. Abraham reaches out his hand and he takes the knife to slaughter his son. And at that point, which the knife was raised, and about to come down on his beloved son. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Wow. Could you imagine this moment? The relief Abraham felt the relief Isaac felt. We've seen this great test, the, the great response, and now we see the great provision. Look at verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and look and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount, the Lord, mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. You see what God just did for Abraham? God provides a lamb for the sacrifice. Abraham looks up and sees a ram which he could offer as a sacrifice instead of his son. On this occasion, a ram is provided, which mean, means the lamb is in the future. The ram dies so that Isaac could live. 
And because Isaac lives, the promised line continues. And in verses 15 to 18, God reaffirms his promise to bless Abraham because of his obedience. We see here in this text that he is the God who tests, but he is also the God who provides. God will bring tests in our lives in order to grow our faith. But as we believe his word, he also provides. There had to be a substitute. There had to be a substitute. God couldn't just call off the sacrifice. Atonement for Abraham's sin was necessary, and the Lord provided. And the faith of Abraham here points us away from Abraham, points us away from Abraham to God, to the God who provided Abraham the faith needed to endure this difficult test, and the God who provides in order to keep his promises. And so Abraham names this place, not Abraham, the obedient, but no, the Lord will provide. Remember, Moses is writing this for the people of Israel. And as they're reading this, God had not yet brought about the Savior. After God delivers his people from Egypt, he provides a Passover lamb to be sacrificed in order for his people to be saved. When he establishes his people and he teaches them how to worship, at the center of that worship was a sacrificial lamb slain for the cleansing of his people's sins, for their forgiveness. In Isaiah 53, God says that the coming suffering servant will be led as a lamb to the slaughter. The whole Old Testament is focused on this same question that Isaac asked Abraham as they were going up the mountain. Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? All throughout the Old Testament. Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And then when you understand that, you understand how earth-shattering it was for when that man, John the Baptist, was out by the Jordan River. And he sees and he points and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. God didn't only bring Abraham to Mount Moriah to test and strengthen his faith. He brought him to show Abraham a symbol, a symbol of how he would pay for the redemption of his people. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 56, that Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. What does Jesus mean there? Jesus meant that Abraham had a unique insight into the way of salvation that God would accomplish through Jesus. See, Abraham clings to the word of God, even though it seems to be contradictory. And the grace of God is revealed to him. 
And then God resolves that contradiction, and in doing so, he points to the greater mystery of his work of grace. So now think about how this story relates to Calvary. God the Father, who fills the role of Abraham, brings his son, his only son, his beloved son, up a mountain to be sacrificed. Like Isaac, Jesus carried a massive piece of wood on his back. But also on his back was every sin that you or I ever committed in thought, word, and deed. Jesus, like Isaac, willingly went to be the sacrifice. And yet at this time, as the father readied his hand to slaughter his son, and as his son hung on the cross, there was no last-minute angel of the Lord calling out. There wasn't a substitute for Jesus, because he himself is the Lamb of God, the substitute for all who believe in him. The Apostle Paul picks up this very language of Genesis chapter 22 when he writes in Romans chapter 8. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God the Father offered up his son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was the substitute. And why did God do this? Why? John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God did what Abraham didn't have to do. He gave up his son to be the sacrificial substitute. Why did he do it? Because of his love. Because of his love, God has provided a sacrifice. He has provided a substitute. God has atoned for our sins. He has provided a spotless lamb for our iniquities. He has provided himself for us. He's taken the wrath that we deserve on himself and has risen from the dead. And so he secured the promises so that the nations are blessed. Only in this way could the blessing that God promised Abraham come into the world. We all deserve to be laid on the altar and consumed by the wrath of God. But instead, God wants you to know that he put his son there instead. Our sin is so great that nothing other than the only Son of God could pay the penalty. The death of lambs could never atone for sin. They only pointed forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And so through the command to sacrifice Isaac and through the ram that God had provided as the substitute, the last minute, God had been impressing on his people the greatness of their need for a savior. If you've never seen it before, I hope you see it today, that you are a sinner. And there's a great savior, Jesus Christ. Without Christ, you will die in your sins. Without Christ, you will suffer the punishment for your sins for eternity in hell. But God has provided. God has provided the Savior, the Lamb. Come to him. And you will know the joy and the peace that we all have to be called the sons and daughters of the living God because he gave, because he loved. Believe in him. Our lives are constantly being tested. In order that we would be brought to a place of complete Reliance and trusting in the gospel promises. People are going to let you down. They're going to betray you. Circumstances are going to overwhelm you and make you doubt. Your own sin will threaten to destroy you and take away your peace. And yet God promises to give you grace in these trials. God promises to give you faith to endure. See, the point of this story is not to convince you or convict you that you must be willing to sacrifice for God what is most precious to you. It's that God was willing to sacrifice what was most precious to him. The mountain wasn't named Abraham will obey But God will provide. What Abraham learned in that day was that the Lord has provided. The Lord is providing and the Lord will provide. And so the God who calls you to be willing, if necessary, to have all his good promises postponed until eternity, or to place all your hopes of happiness beyond the grave. That God who is calling you to be willing to do that is the same God who will provide for your needs in the future, just as he has done in the past. So the next time you or I are tempted to believe that God is not going to provide for our needs, whatever that may be, Consider the fact that God did not spare his only son to die for your sins. How much more will he provide for the little things? The father sent his only son, his beloved son, to the cross to die for our sins. And the son went willingly 
because of his love for you. That's the message of Christmas. It's not about a baby being born, but this baby being born, the child of promise, the one who would crush the head of the serpent and yet have his heel bruised in order to be the sacrificial lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And so if you haven't yet, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. If God is working in your heart currently and you've got questions or you want someone to pray for you, I'll be up here at the end of the service. Come up here. I'd love to talk with you. And for my fellow brothers and sisters here this morning, let's cling to the word of God and trust him no matter what comes our way. Let's marvel at the grace that God has shown us in his provision of the Lamb. Let's respond to this message with praise and thanksgiving. And let's tell others about Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The glorious meaning of Christmas is that God has provided a substitute sacrifice to save his people. Let's pray. Father, we pray that through your word, we may be drawn close to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for grace to trust you completely, no matter what difficulties or circumstances we face. We pray that you would enable us by your grace that we may come to you in a new obedience. Many of us have talked about obedience, Lord, but we've not lived trusting in your word alone. Strengthen us, Lord, as your spirit applies these things to our hearts. We thank you for Jesus, the substitute lamb, Help us to reflect on all these things this Christmas season. You are truly the Lord who provides. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.